Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 478 of the Survival Podcast. It is Monday, July 19th, 2010, and I am actually right now in Big Bend uh, National Park out in West Texas with my good buddy Brian Black working on a cooperative project with him doing a camel comparison thing and I'm not really here today. I actually recorded this uh, podcast uh, a few weeks ago other than the intro which I'm recording uh, over the weekend and you'll be hearing it Monday. Uh, and today what we're actually going to do is we're going to have Mike Gazer back on. We had Mike on earlier to talk about finances and economics and all the stuff that he's known for. But as I've been talking to Mike, I found out he's actually a homesteader and he's got a pretty interesting setup. So since we're done with the housekeeping, I'll be bringing in the interview that I priorly did with uh, Mike Gazer. And uh, we'll hear about homesteading up in the uh, New England area and what that's been like for Mike and some interesting things and some really cool things I think he'll be able to share with you guys that, uh, I mean, I just, you know, really found some cool resources uh, from Mike and I thought this was a great show. So glad to have it as some fill-in material for when I'm away. Remember, I will be also away next week from um, about the, 20, the 27th through about the 4th or 5th of August. I'm not really sure yet. I don't know if there'll be any shows in that period. I'll do what I can for you. I'll try to do some when I get back. There may not be a show tomorrow as well. We'll be driving back on Tuesday. If I can get something recorded out there, uh, I can publish remotely and we'll get a show. With that, let's go ahead and knock out the housekeeping. Housekeeping item number one. Let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help make sure the show's for, here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one, KnifeKits.com. If you want to build your own knife and build something cool and custom and work with the best equipment you can get to do that, check out KnifeKits.com. And for the advanced knife builder down to the person that just wants to buy a pretty easy-to-assemble kit, they have everything you could possibly possibly be looking for. So check out, check out KnifeKits.com. Next up, check out Sawtooth Tactical. For those of you that want to live the tactical lifestyle, SawTac is the place to go. Uh, Sawtooth Tactical provides just about anything you can think of when it comes to that tactical stuff. I mean, everything from Magpul magazines uh, to Maxpedition bags and everything in between. So check out Sawtooth Tactical. Remember, mention you, you found them on the Survival Podcast, and they'll probably pitch in some extra little goodie for you. Uh, next up, let me remind you, do connect with us on all our social media outlets. We're out there on most of the stuff that you guys are probably into, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, you'll get discounts to about 20 different vendors, 20 videos that are available nowhere else by me on instructional topics, and uh, a bunch of other great stuff. And you'll be supporting this show at what comes out to about 20 cents an episode, even factoring in my occasional vacations. Um, I also want to remind you real quick before we go ahead and introduce Mike, uh, that um, I actually do have a new little site out there for those of you who have wondered how I've taken Survival Podcast from uh, something I did in my car with an MP3 recorder to a full-time business and would like to uh, learn more about building businesses online. That new podcast is called 5 Minutes with Jack. It's a video podcast, and you can learn more about it at jackspearco.com. So, folks, as I said, uh, we're lucky to have Mike Gazer returning today, and instead of talking about all this financial stuff, and I'm sure a Bitter, a bit of that or two will leak into the conversation because we both like talking about money. We actually have him on to talk about homesteading today. And even though Mike's a guy with a great big yacht and he's been in the financial industry for a long time, he really lives a life that's very similar to what a lot of the audience lives. And we have him on to talk about that today and not only what and how, but why. So, Mike, hey, thanks for coming back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, good to be back on, Jack. Well, uh, it's been a while since we had you on, so I'll remind folks, the last time you were on, we talked about all this like really complicated stuff, like FAS 157 and accounting practices and where our economy was going. And at the end of that show, you're like, hey, man, you need to bring me back on and talk about some things like you know, uh, gardening and, and snowmobiling yeah. and homesteading and yeah. fishing. So we've got you back on for that. Uh, before we start talking about kind of your setup and, and how you set it up, 
Can you tell, why do you do this? I mean, is it just something you like or do you see a, a value in it in uncertain times? Is it a little bit of both? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's good to be back. It really is. And it was funny because when, when you first invited me on, I didn't really know the gist of the show. Survival, well, the hell, that could mean anything. That could mean like my usual topic, which is surviving the economic apocalypse we seem to be in the middle of. But I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned the last uh, the last part of the interview with last time I was on. I just I grew up outside, man. I grew up in the woods, hunting, fishing, trapping. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, very early 1970s, uh, uh, Red Fox pelt brought you 75 bucks, man. When I was a kid, 75 dollars. God Almighty, that was two bikes right there. You know, I remember that you got like 50 for a gray fox. It was uh, it was a good time to be a trapper. It was not bad. I mean, we were, you know, it was halfway frowned upon when I was a kid. But it just, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, to, to some degree, I've sort of lost my taste for trapping. I, I'm not against it. I just, I don't need to do it no more because I make money doing other stuff. As a, sure. As a kid, as a kid, it was an economic, it was an ec- economic choice. But, uh, but anyway, I just, it's just that's the way I grew up. And my cousin and I, my cousin Steve and I, because we'd heard about guys that could do it. And we actually had families that let us do it. You got 30 feet of string, a pocket knife, and a piece of flint and steel. And you had to make it five days in the woods. <laughs> and, we thought that was just, and we thought that was just the balls as like 12 and 13-year-olds if we could do that. And we did it. Pocket knife, 30 feet of string, flint and steel. Awesome, Let's awesome. So you're not just a homesteader, you're a wilderness survivalist as well. So Jeremiah I, Johnson, baby. Jeremiah I, Johnson. I think it's good to have you on and have you talk about this kind of stuff with folks because business-wise, let's say it, you're successful. You, you, you've got a little bit of money put away. And I think a lot of folks that look at some of the things we talk about on the show think, well, that's for, you know, uh, rednecks. And I call myself redneck, so I don't really – but they mean it in a derogatory way. And I think it's just the way that most people in this country lived not that long ago. It's the way our grandparents lived, right? I gotta, I gotta tell you a joke. I love, I've been telling this joke for 40 years, <laughs> honest to God. Um, it was an agricultural, uh, convention, you know, a, a farming convention. And this is the, uh, uh, Connecticut Yankee versus the, uh, Texas, if you want to call yourself that redneck. But, so we're at, we're at, we're at this convention. And uh, you're trying to tell me, my, my Texas ranching friend, about how I don't understand how it is to be you. And you're telling me, you know, Mike, you, you got to understand how, how it is for me. I, I can get in my truck in the morning. I can drive all day, okay? And, and at the end of the day, I'm still not at the other side of my property. And I'm like, I know exactly how that is. I got a truck just like that. That's awesome. You're going to retell that joke, aren't you? Yeah, I am, you know, and I'm going <laughs> to claim it as my own, man. See, I can't claim it as my own now, though. We're, we're publicly on the public airways. Ah, you get credit for it now. That's awesome. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your place. You've got yeah. you've got a place, and we don't want to give away the location specifically or anything, but let's say you're in New England, and you've got about 200 acres, and you've left over 190 of it wooded. You haven't pl- uh, played rancher the way some of these people down here where they, they plow like everything down and try to have like a giant field where they think they're on the pond rose. You've kept it wooded, uh, reasoning for doing so. Well, I mean, it was, it was vastly wooded. I only cleared a few acres just to um, primarily improve my view because I sit on a mountaintop. I have over 100 mile views, 180 degrees. So I dropped a couple acres of fairly crappy wood in the first place. But, uh, but funny you mentioned the what what your guys would have done down there, New England. I mean, back you go back to 250 years. That's what happened. the The east coast of the U.S. was damn near clear cut, and and even where my house is situated, the guy that built the house back in the 1950s. Now I bought it, remodeled it, added on to it, but uh, he had windows in places. I was like, what the hell? What the hell could you see out this window? And then I really thought about it that these trees. That are in my way, yeah. Aren't much, aren't much more than twenty five, thirty five years old. When he built this house, man, he had a clear view. He might have he might have had two hundred and seventy degree views when he built this house. So, so the, the the land was largely wooded. I, I'm 
I, I farm at a micro level now, but I, 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 I didn't plan to farm it. So there was no need. If you're gonna, if you're gonna support your own family with regards to like farming, gardening, micro agriculture, I mean, you don't need much more than, oh my God, what do you need? A couple thousand square feet will produce sure. tons of food for you. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a family, I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys, they're called the Derveases, and they're out in, uh, central California, uh, and these folks have a tenth of an acre in suburbia, and they produce about 6,000 pounds of food a year on a tenth of an acre. And they run their whole business off of uh, agricultural production. They sell, you know, lettuce mixes and all to like the boutique, uh, uh, kind of artsy fartsy uh, restaurants, places they would never eat themselves because they wouldn't pay 12 bucks for a salad. But if they could do that on a tenth of an acre, yeah, I mean, a guy with a few acres can take a half of an acre and produce way more than they could ever use uh, themselves, especially from the garden. Because you do a lot of other things beyond gardening. You've got, well, before we get there, I want to talk about how you heat everything. You use wood heating for your yeah. home and your pool, right? You just got to heat a pool in New England. Well, the thing is, this ain't Texas, although it feels like it today. Holy crap, <laughs> it was 102 degrees yesterday. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I, uh, a few years ago uh, was, uh, and actually it was not, it makes me look smart, but this was just sheer luck. Um, a guy built a house down the road from me, and uh, he had clear-cut probably two acres of hardwoods. And honest to God, the logging company had dropped the trees, limbed them, and I'm talking, Jack, we're talking a pile, oh, my God, double double the size of two uh, of, of a tractor-trailer trailer. So we're wow. talking, like, logs. Um, he couldn't get nobody to take them. Really? I mean, it was like... It was, oh my God, Jack! It was like 400 yards from my driveway, and a neighbor told me because I'm like, "What the hell is he going to do with all?" This? It was it was a friggin' eyesore, is what it was to me. Yeah, because it was at the it was at the edge of the property near the road, and I asked one of my neighbors. He's like, "Well, he can't get rid of it. He's had people say they would take it." Yeah, I go. They said they would take it, and they didn't. And and I um, I have two John Deere tractors, and I, I I got in contact with the guy, and he's like, "Oh my God." You would take it? I'm like, shit, yeah, I'll take yeah, it. I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. And I, 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 I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. So this is where the story goes. So, uh, you know, I just, uh, with a chain, uh, this is my John Deere with a bucket on the front, and I dragged them, uh, usually about two logs at a time, dragged them in my property, uh, cut them up, split them. I probably ended up with like 30 cord. Wow. Split at that point. And I went to, of all places, man, Home Depot. No, no lion. They had a, a fabulous, it was a hot, hot air furnace. You got a fire box inside a larger box, and all there is is a hundred, uh, sorry, a hundred, eight hundred cubic foot per minute fan that blows air into the back of this box. Wow. Around the fire box, out the top, and in my garage of all places, I had a flue that had been put in that never, on, on the main floor, Long story short, I ducked. I, 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 had, I had a friend of mine who was in the duck, you know, he's a tin knocker, ducked it into my main duct system. I heat my whole house. Um, it's a little uneven. It's because it wasn't very elegantly put in. Sure. So, like, the rooms that are closest to it in the, in the wintertime, my family kids me that if you're going to go over, like, Mike's house, you know, for Christmas or whatever, you better wear your, like, bikini. Guy, uh, some rooms are going to be like eighty you degrees, need, and, and you need your parka for the other rooms, right? Well, no, no, the coolest rooms will be seventy. Oh, those are great. Yeah, no, not yeah. bad. And, you know, well, I you know, you got to keep it warm when you're known as the Prince of Darkness in the financial sector, right? Well, you know, just, <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I have a hundred and ninety acres of fuel, man. I don't need OPEC. Awesome. If I if I could burn wood in my car, I'd be burning it. So. Uh, and the pool, I originally had put in propane heat, and then I, uh, through experience, realized propane heaters have a lifespan of about a, a mayfly. Gotcha. And, uh, and I found a great outfit out of Canada, which I, I'm happy to give them a plug, and unless they're not a paying customer of yours. No, man, we plug, we plug what's good here, not just who pays. It's, it's a, the most simple thing ever. It's called Extenda Swim. Extenda swim okay and uh it's the same thing it just has a manifold uh built into the top no moving parts your pool pump pushes the water in go, runs through the stainless steel manifold comes back out into your pool 
burns wood. It's wow. Elegantly simple. No moving parts at all. I've had it for years. It heats the living snot out of the pool now. I, I need uh, to get one of those for my place up in Arkansas because it's you don't get the the long swim. You know, we swim here from like uh, I'd say May through October without a heater. I mean, that's that's yeah. you know, by by July what I need is a refrigerator because the water's too freaking warm. Uh, right. But I, that sounds like a cool product. So it just so it's a standalone. It is a furnace to itself. It doesn't use your furnace. It does not. Okay, no, cool. It, it, stand, it sits outside. Comes you know with a. A uh, three-foot piece of pipe on it, but you could add more stove pipe. Uh, but yeah, the pool pump provides uh, the water flow. There's no pump attached to it. Uh, of course, you better keep the pump running. Sure. You got the stove running because you don't want a you know, uh, explosion. But yeah, you know, got gotcha. to swim. And and I think they're actually distributed in the U.S. now out of Vegas. And it's 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 give or take. I'm just I don't even remember. Mine's a few years old. Give or take thousand bucks. There's about I think there's small, medium, large, and extra large. We got four sizes, mm-hmm. and uh, no, what a what a nifty product! Simple, elegant. They even sell replacement parts for it. it's it's. You know, I could I I'm, couldn't be more happy with them. Awesome, awesome. So, and even though you you used up this huge glut of wood that you ended up with for free, you use wood on your property, and right. with 190 acres, you've got a renewable source there. You, oh, you you're God, not even... you're not clear cutting for this. You're pulling whatever oh. you need as you need it, and. It's probably growing faster than you're cutting it, I would think. Much faster, and uh, it's a thing in Connecticut, which uh, your, uh, your 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 Texas and, and and southern friends may not appreciate. But uh, and, and you know, property taxes in the north. Uh, yeah. Are, but but if you dedicate your property to woodland, and uh, which means you get a certified forester in to certify your 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 property as woodland. Uh, which uh, it, which does put a somewhat of a moratorium on your it, ability to to develop it, which I didn't want to develop. I, I got you. Keep, I got you. Yeah. Get the hell away from me. But uh, but but the forester. So the long and short of it is, I got my land certified as as forest land, and I manage it as a as an active woodlot, and uh, I cut hardwood, but. That, I use I use give or take eight to ten cords a year. Gotcha. For everything, which I mean, when you really think about it, in the scope of ten acres is like about forty trees. Gotcha. Yeah. And so we're just trying to manage the woodlot properly, uh, thinning it, uh, mostly cutting poplar and ash, poplar and ash, and leaving the oaks and maples. Which, of course, this is a northeastern uh, obviously story I'm telling, but that's where I. No, that's that's cool, and I mean, I've I've got five acres, and we get a tremendous amount of wood through what we call, or what I said we call, what's called cospicing, where we actually cut certain trees a certain way, where the root system stays alive, and we cut those trees in seven year cycles. They just keep coming back. So, I guess my point is, not everybody's got 190 acres, but folks, even with a small lot, you can produce a lot of your own wood and do it renewably. Because that's what bikes do. This is a renewable, sustainable system he's got going on there. And if uh, if we ever end up paying nine dollars a gallon for gas, if you want your car to run, like you said, you got to pay the nine bucks. But heating your house isn't going to change for you. Not at all. No. And I've got my own. I don't even have to rely. I, I've got to buy gas for the uh, chainsaw and splitter. But uh, uh, and, and I, I get a decent amount every year from uh, standing deadwood. I would imagine. Yeah. That lost the uh, Darwinistic battle and died, and they're all seasoned and standing, and you cut them down, and they're good to go. Yeah, I love that. Cause, yeah, it's already it's it's like the, the, they stand vertical, dead for a season, and they're yeah. as perfectly ready to burn as they oh. could ever be. That's absolutely, absolutely, and that's a fire prevention thing to take those trees down because when there is a forest fire and that tree catches when it falls over, the coal bed it throws is a oh, disaster. Yeah. So those trees have to come down. It's good woodlot management, and I never expected. I mean, I'm glad to know about it, but it's not. It was one was something I never sought out. It just sort of sought me out. Life sought it out for me. So, speaking of trees, you've you've got kind of a little orchard going on there. You've got like 35 fruit trees: apples, pears, plums, cherries, peaches. Absolutely. I'm looking out the window at it as we speak, and and this is the year I'm finally getting a decent harvest. I, I, you know, the house, I, I'm in the house barely 10 years now. It took me a few years to plant the orchard, 
and uh, and I planted it in two stages because I planted it and I was like, geez, I want more than this. I don't know why, but I just I wanted more. And yeah, she's uh, she's coming in like a champ. So I should have yeah a moderate harvest this year. It's gonna be my first. You know, we got stuff the last couple years yeah. in a minor way, but this is gonna be the first year I think I really do decently with it. And for a variety of things, just just straight away eating, juicing, canning. I uh, I'm really my, one of my big little pet wishes is I really want to start making wine, fruit and. I was going to ask you about that if you were a vintner or a brewer yet. Well, I've got I planted uh, a, a small vineyard last year, 36 vines, uh, 12 Pinot Noir, and uh, 24 Cabernet Franc, which most people don't recognize Cabernet Franc, but it is one of the parents of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc uh, uh, hybrid, and uh, it's it's hardy. See, Texas is Texas, man. We got to have stuff here. It, it can get way below zero. Yeah, I got you. It's it's a tough it's a tough grape environment. We had uh, go ahead. Yeah, we, we, in PA we had a uh, we had a set of old Concord vines. They were about a hundred years old. And they were the only grapevines I've ever seen in my life. They're about as big around as my thigh. Uh, oh, yeah. you got to have tough grapes up there in the Northeast. So, yeah, but you got to get into, especially with the fruit trees. Um, if we get some beehives on your, on your property there, Mike, you can get into making mead and, and different, you know, melomels and piments and fruit meads. And, uh, it probably, you'd probably get off the road and stay home if you started doing that. <laughs> Except, except that don't pay as good. So I'm yeah, that's true. And I'll buy honey. I don't. I don't need more maintenance. So. Yeah, yeah. So you got a you got a you got a pile of raspberry bushes going on there as well. Oh, good year this year too. I planted those. That's only that's barely a four year old deal. I planted seventy five, uh, fifty of of two different uh, kinds of red raspberry. So twenty five and twenty five, and up here the sort of. Uh, uh, Natural raspberries, a black raspberry. Some people try to just say blackberries. Uh, so I planted those 75. I'm getting, give or take, 100 pounds a year out of that now. And this year was, re- this year was pretty good, real good. And I'm, I'm playing a wine uh, and, uh, and jam from that. Yeah, the, the wine you can make is black raspberry wine. Um, yes. Dude, it can rival some of the uh, really, really good uh, uh, red wines out there. Uh, I made, I used to make a black raspberry uh, and uh, and honey mead that if you handed it to somebody and a little bit of oak character to it, and it was uh, you, you put it in people's hands that knew wine, and they yeah. knew it wasn't Cabernet. But it was like, this is as close as they could get. They're like, what is this? They didn't know right. what it was, but they knew it was good. Uh, some of the snobs, of course, you know, they're into things a little bit too much. But, I mean, I'm big on the homemade wine. And you've got something else that makes good wine. You've got a bunch of strawberries going on up there. Oh, that's, yeah. And that was, uh, I had a good year. That I, It took me, I, I kept trying and trying with the damn raspberries. I, I actually trying to make them sort of an adjunct to my garden Except the damn deer. Oh my god. I mean, <laughs> what's funny as a kid, I hunted as a kid. Yeah. Finding a, finding a deer in New England when I was a kid was miraculous. And now they're like, damn, just, please try to keep them out of my yard. Yeah, they're like big like, rats. You know, they're everywhere, and I finally had to build a cage. Uh, and last year was the first year the cage was old, because the strawberries, I guess, are like shrimp, you know, shrimp cocktail for like damn deer. Uh, and they just leveled my damn strawberry patch, and this year was real good. Last year was pretty good. This year was excellent. Uh, so the strawberries are going wild, which I just love this stuff. I just thought it was important, too, because I got a young daughter, to for her to know that, you know, food doesn't come from the supermarket. God, if I could tell you how many times we've said that here. It, you know, it gives me hope when I hear people that are, that are outside of maybe our direct uh, community saying the same things because don't you think our kids have been led to believe that chicken comes in a package, you know, strawberries come in a box in the supermarket. Like that's how they're, they come out of a factory. Somebody stamps them out or something. And you've learned from things like deer eating your food before you get a chance. And I'm sure you've had your pest problems and failures with gardening and all it's not as easy as you think it is when you're oh. an observer, right? So that no. gives you a little bit more in touch with how 
long term, the human race has a problem with food supplies as long as we rely on commercial production. And not that it's bad, but exclusively. Like, people need to realize these things and take some responsibility on for themselves, eh? Well, that, that was what I thought was the beauty, and now we're going to the economics of it. The beauty of 4 and $5 gallon gas is people finally figured out, like, this... I mean, Americans, when I was a kid, you ate strawberries in season. You correct, ate blueberries correct. In season. You didn't fly friggin' blueberries in from Brazil correct. to eat. And, and Americans are just used to going to Publix or Safeway or Kroger, whatever the hell supermarket is you're, you're used to going to, and, and whatever the hell time of year it is, they got everything, strawberries, kiwis, uh, star fruit, and bananas, and plantains, and, 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 and that's because they're flying it in from all over, and, and I was pleased, and it seems to have stuck a little bit when, when, when oil went wild there just a couple years ago, is that people finally started thinking about that, you know, growing it local. And you sure. Go down the road, you go down the road and the food's like right there. And that's, that's all the victory garden. While everyone thinks that's just the name of a PBS television program, the victory garden, I forget who it was, basically a, a typical family can grow most of the food they need in a 400 square foot lot. Correct. That was the victory garden and that was part and parcel of World War II. Because in World War II, unlike the wars that everybody complains about now, the people that lived here sacrificed alongside the soldier because they had rationing and resources they needed to go, and we didn't have an unlimited supply of everything, at least the illusion of that. So these people grew guards not just to save money. They grew it as a, a patriotic responsibility because even if they could buy food, they knew if they produced some of their own and took pressure off the system, it might be, right. you know, that resource might be used to feed a GI on Iwo Jima. I, I ask my audiences, and I have audiences of fairly affluent people, as you know. How, and I don't want to actually know the number, but how much money do you have on you right now? And they're like, well, you know, and they go digging and, yeah. yeah. But, but what I want to know is, well, what if, what if, just for the hell of it, that the ATM didn't work starting right now? And your credit mm-hmm. cards were no longer, what, what would you do? Do you have enough, how much food do you have? How much water do you have? If the power grid went out, how long how long could you have power? And people look at me like I'm a moron at this point. <laughs> it's just like, you know, what if? Well, I don't know what. I who the hell? I don't know what it's gonna. What could happen? But it really is sad to me. How many people that you know could make a pencil? Yeah, uh, no, no. I, 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 I there's me and there's yeah. there's you. And then there's my survivalist buddy, Ron Hood, and there's the people on my forum, I guess, but I don't know all of them personally. But, dude, I mean, if I walked around my neighborhood right now and said, I need you to make a pencil. Right. The or, average or, person would look at you like you're retarded. Right. I, I just staples. Staples got pencils. I just go buy it and freaking <laughs> pencils. Yeah. Um, you, know. you know, here's how here's how far we've come. I. When we were on, you were on last time. We talked about the, the gal with the tax refund from Starbucks. Here's a story that I read uh, recently. It was called the Kitchenistas, okay? And it was these people in Manhattan who turned their because they have small apartments and not much storage space. They turned their kitchen into like their closet, so they keep like their sweaters in the oven and their shoes in a refrigerator. And one of these people is young girl, and God bless her, like you said about that other girl. But she's like, well, I'm single, so I know there's a dinner every night. And I think, well, how far have we fallen? That, uh, uh, she's obviously financially somewhat successful. Empowered young woman would rely on a date for her meals. Well, it's not a date. At least McDonald's or, or <laughs> Tavern on the Green or somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it, hey, God bless, you know, God bless. That's all right. But, I mean, what do you, what do, you do if I... They can't make it one day. Those people can't make it one stinking day with a snowstorm. And that's not, you know, we do talk about some big disasters here, but it's not out of the question that occasionally, just rarely, I know this is a big stretch, Mike, but rarely up there you guys have something called snow. And sometimes when it falls, it accumulates up to like, you know, above the roof of a car. And when that happens, you're kind of stuck for a while, right? So. 
yeah. You gotta, you gotta be at least prepared. And, and, and what's, even in New England, and we should know better up here. I mean, yes, you have the run on the supermarkets and everybody's <laughs> buying, I don't know what it is about milk and bread. I mean, Man, I said I, the same thing. <laughs> I didn't know, like, how many, I didn't know people ate that much bread and drank that much milk. So, yeah, they're all buying, like, you know, polyethylene tarps and, and bread and milk and duct tape and I, you know, what, 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 you, and then what do you do with it? it you know because in New England generally minus it being the blizzard of the century I mean the worst storm we could ever have they do plow you out in like 12 hours so sure. it's work in the morning you know but it's just what if it gets worse than that what if like that that, that power grid disaster that caused everyone which it's so hot in the Northeast right now. I'm waiting for the power grid. To go do it again, yeah. Time. You know, the last time that happened, Mike, the one you're talking about up there, I was in the middle of Manhattan when the lights oh, went out. But yeah. I had money. I had cash in my pocket. And a oh, few of the vendors came out and started, like, selling sandwiches and beers, like, right in the street for cash. And I yeah. sat down, and I watched the exodus. And I watched oh, yeah. everybody walking and freaking out. And I drank a beer, and I waited for the lights to come back on so I could get back into my hotel room. And it was a, it was actually a pleasant experience because if you wanted another beer, you didn't have to wait because there was only like three people that had cash at an island with eight million people. Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, somewhere in the last like probably six or eight months, Popular Mechanics did a great. It was it was not really a survivalist, uh, uh, which I do. I'm an absolute subscriber for years and years of Popular Mechanics, but it was just like. That's, I ripped it off, that like, the, who knows how to make a pencil, but it's just like, who knows how to do anything, but one of the suggestions it made was, two things you should have plenty of on hand, in case of disaster, is gasoline, because you can put it in your car, you can run your lawnmower, you sure. can run a generator, and beer, because yeah. beer is like a universal currency. You bet if it you is. If you don't have a chainsaw, and you have a, a tree across your driveway, and your neighbor, he don't really need cash because there's probably there's maybe he can't even go spend it anywhere at the right. moment. But if, if an icy cold beer to help yeah. you cut or, or or a six pack or a case to cut the damn tree out of your driveway, well, he might think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, down here, when we had the second big hurricane Rita that hit a lot of South Texas, yeah. th there were a lot of guys going around helping out neighbors, and they were helping everybody. To be fair to them, but when somebody threw a six pack at them. Oh yeah, their, their driveway got cleared first. I, I think you're dead on there. Now you were talking about storing gas. You're actually prepared for the lights to go out, right? You've got a, a, a generator that's uh, propane fired and a whole bunch of the propane like stores better than gas. So is is that why you went with a propane generator? Or? Uh, propane and you know this uh, without making your show run too long. I mean, and I would imagine your audience is much more versed than average. Uh, I. I have a, I have plenty of stabilized gasoline, but propane damn near has no finite shelf life. So I have a 15,000 watt propane fire generator that's hardwired into the house. Uh, and really in an emergency situation, the truth of the matter is I'd only have to run it for probably in the order of two to five hours a day, keep the freezers froze, the heat on, and the water, water pump running adequately so the tubs are filled and whatnot. And I could literally last for months uh, at that pace uh, with the amount of propane I have in storage. But I also have a, uh, another uh, genera generator that runs off the PTO of my tractor, and I have a smaller portable 6,000 water uh, gasoline. What's uh, what's the motivation there on the redundancy? You got a lot of redundancy going on there. Uh, no, just because. What do you do? What do you do if one doesn't work? Uh, you know that's what I'm exactly yeah. Yeah, because the day, the day I need it is the day Home Depot ain't open no more. Correct, correct, and that's and, we have a saying around here: two is one, and one is none. And I, w I and I, w I wish I remembered his name. Do you, do you, you, most have you heard of Nautilus exercise equipment? Yep. I, I forget the guy's name. He was on David Letterman. I'm talking twenty five plus thirty maybe years ago, and uh, and he had a federal gun permit, and I guess he carried a gun everywhere, and that was his reputation. And Letterman asked him, why do you carry a gun everywhere you go? And I loved his answer, and it stuck with me, that it was like a tourniquet. You hope you never, ever need it, but when you do need it, you need, you need it really, really quickly and really, really badly. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's how I, as far as the redundancy. The day, I really, the day I'm going to really, really need those generators is the day that there's going to be no other solution for me. 
I will have money that nobody will really need for anything. And let me let me ask you just to you know, to kind of get into the, the the main world that we live in here at the Survival Podcast. Do you think there could come a time where this type of preparation would be the smartest thing that somebody would do? Because we could end up in a place that's not just a snowstorm. It is a, a you know a regional or nationwide grid failure due to some event uh, or some level of decline of the economy could actually create some of these Hollywood scenarios. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or it's highly probable. I'm just saying, is it possible? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've I've been on before, and you're acutely aware of my economic and financial opinions, and and I'm I'm more of a freewheeling kind of guy than, than a lot of guys that you would consider my contemporaries. You know, as far as, like, all of a sudden a dollar, I'm not one of the aluminum foil hat guys. Gotcha. I'm not one of the, I'm not one of the black helicopter guys. I, I, I'm not worried about the United Nations taking over the universe. But um, the swine flu thing, which was so easily dismissed, uh, a real pandemic has not struck mankind in an awful long time. And I, and among scientists, there is no arrogance, but I think there's a certain arrogance among the regular, you know, everyday public uh, that, that it can't happen. Some sort of, like, plague, which, I, which I'm not worried about it, but that I could at least imagine. That, sure. that, 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 makes, that makes sense. Some sort of, like, the electrical grid, that last one when you were in New York, I mean, there were some power lines, man. They melted and fell to the ground. Correct, correct. That was bad. It was, it, it, the, the, you know, Manhattan came back on relatively quickly, so that made the news people turn away from it. But there were people right. that went a long time. And uh, the way I heard one engineer put it recently, he said, our electrical grid today has been built the same way, and many, much of the infrastructure has been in place for close to 100 years now. It is literally held together with duct tape. Well, it is a chewing, you know, chewing gum and rubber band paperclip situation. But, but to your point, is just really this year, it wasn't even really that bad a wind. There was wind, but it rained torrentially at the very onset of spring, and in Westchester, Westchester County, New York, and Fairfield County, Connecticut, without question, almost the two most wealthy counties in the United States of America, there was billionaires down there out of electricity for 14 to 18 days. Hmm. Because I heard stories, and my father spent 40 years with the utility, there was areas, seven miles of power lines were gone. So it isn't like one pole, some yeah. guy hit the pole. No, no, we have seven miles. Of line that's no, that's no longer viable. It has to be replaced. And well, you have to replace them all. It's yeah. not just even one pole. It's, it's all yeah. wires. And, and it was because the water got the water soaked the ground. The trees yeah. just fell. They just fell over. Yeah. You know, uh, what, about a, what about a hacking? You know, who knows? China? I just read something about that recently. Uh, another concern of somebody high in the U.S. government worried about whether it be a Chinese or who cares what kind of hacker they are. Or somebody that wants to prove they can do it. And they'll do it just some to prove. Some, yeah. yeah, some, some <laughs> Matthew Broderick, 16-year-old American kid. From, yeah. you know, who the hell knows? I'm not blaming on the Chinese, but yeah. if somebody gets yeah. into the system, just to, I don't know what it is. Yeah, but there, there's vulnerabilities, I guess, is my point. You're talking about the, the, the storm you had up there. We had about seven years ago here, we had grass fires going on. It didn't rain for like 100 days, and we had triple-digit temperatures for like 75 days in a row. And the grass was literally to the point where anything would spark it. And when it went, even though it wasn't big forest, it was grass fields burning, it burned so fast and so hot, there were places where it took out power poles, and it I've never even seen anything like this before. There was one picture where when the fire came through, it only hit one pole, and it looked like somebody took a giant, you know, green, jolly green giant-sized blowtorch and cut the telephone pole in half, and the span was holding up the top of the pole, and the bottom was charred off. And right. That's just a nat. There's and you know people are like, well, why don't they do something about it? Well, it's the half the state of Texas. You can't go out and water it. You, you gotta. So there's there are things out there that make this type of prepping pay off. You've even got some solar stuff going on. You've got a, what, in your notes this is a charger cable or something. I just, I just invested. It's one really good panel 
Got you. With the, uh, you know, electrical adapters necessary. Where, if necessary, I could charge any any voltage, any size battery. I I um, because of the size of my property, I have two golf carts, which I've even got a, you know an arrangement where I can charge the golf cart batteries, the electric golf carts. So whether it be the 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 batteries in vehicles, which then could power inverters. Sure. Uh, so there's. I, the redundancy gets ridiculous with me after a while. No, that's good though. That's I mean, I, I tell everybody build up the level of preparedness that you can afford, and, and not everybody can have 192 acres in and no. wood heating, but everybody can do something. And that little charging device you have is like one of our first steps toward independence to have that capability to at least create some level of backup and portable power. So that's awesome. And and there's, then there's other stuff like board games. Decks of cards. Yeah. Uh, every time I see cheap, the little votive candles, the little like cheap ones with the little aluminum, I buy a bag of them. I buy them a hundred at a time. Yep. Yep. I do the same thing. It's funny. I mean, different worlds. Exa- there's a place here called uh, MJ Designs that my wife likes to go. It's all crafts, crafts and artsy fartsy stuff. And and every once in a while they have these huge bins full of those tea lights. And every time I, they're like four ninety nine. She's like, you don't need more of them. I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> Right, no, yeah. They're five Ikea, bucks. Which, yeah. Has, has Ikea in, in infested uh, Texas yet? Yeah, we have Ikea. Okay, well, Ikea is another great place uh, to uh, for that kind of stuff. Uh, tea lights in, in bulk. Absolutely. So, so do, you, do you do any, like, preserving of all this food or any kind of – you got any additional food stored up, or is that for crazy people like me? No, I do a lot of canning. I uh, make my own maple syrup. Uh, I also uh, – is going to give another shameless plug the freeze dry guy. I don't know if you know him. I know I know who uh, they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, so there's you know a few months worth of food. Could I got two uh, very very good quality wells on the property and with my own electricity. One of them I don't even need, so I have a hand pump on it. That's Second awesome. Well, that was you know so. And you, even uh, with the wells, you still have a cistern, right? And I have a three thousand. Well, the three thousand gallon cistern was actually put in by the guy that built this house originally because. It was so remote, considering that I'm like 90 minutes from Manhattan and Boston. Uh, he he was in a very remote location at the time, and he put in the cistern, which is fed by the gutter system on the house, the uh, rain gutter. Oh, okay, so it's rain uh, kitchen. Okay, cool. For for the per- what his concern, what he, he I, I don't know the guy. He he passed away, and I bought this this out of his estate, um, but he was scared to death fire. And, ah. he, and he, he actually has a. T- I left it on there. Uh, the cistern has uh, a thing with a fire hose attachment, so a pumper truck could pull right in, hook right up, and have three thousand gallons of like water available to like. Ah, you no wonder he cut all the trees down. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I don't think he did it, but I think he bought it this he way because pyrophobic. This land, this land was originally homesteaded by a family two hundred and twenty-seven years ago. Awesome, awesome. There's a lot of history going on there, too. There is. I, and the old house is still there. I'm looking. I can look out the window. I'm looking. Hang out. Let me look at it. All right, I'm looking at it. So uh, so we have a lot of folks that listen to this show, and they take a lot of the same type of steps you are. And, I mean, everybody does it a little bit differently, and that's one of my core tenets of modern survivalism is I don't tell people store X amount of food, have X amount of this redundant. What I say is take all the information, Put it together, do it your way, because if it's your plan, you'll follow it. If it's my plan, you'll get tired of it and it won't work for you. And to do these, like all this stuff you do actually makes your life pretty enjoyable, which is a big reason you do them. But then these folks go out and they talk to family and friends, and the family and friends say, you're crazy, you're nuts, we don't have to worry about this. They have that what we call normalcy bias. Guy like you's doing this, right? I mean, hopefully, part of why I brought you on to talk about this stuff is to give those people some credibility, because you know the old saying, a prophet, no honor in his own country, right? Well, I, I, you know, the fact of the matter is that, like, I've done financially well for myself. But, but here's the analogy. When you were talking, I immediately thought of, and, and anyone that works at a, at at a decent sized company with a 401k plan, uh, the problem, I, I think, in the last 10 years, and I'm going back to the financial stuff, is that the, the employer really usually wanted to offer the employee the best of everything, and they would offer this expansive 401k plan where you had like 40 different options you could choose from. You had 10 different stock market funds and 10 bond funds and 10, all the, and what I found happening was people were paralyzed. 
yes. they didn't know what the, they didn't know what the hell to do. I mean, yep. like they're, they're not financial people. They got they got a, a friggin' million choices. They don't know what to pick. They don't know what to. And, and, and what I would say to them is like, don't worry about it too much. Make the first decision. Like, if you put six percent of your pay and you get a three percent match, do that. And I don't care if you put it in the money market account for now, but do something. See, and this is the same w- with your with this preparation. Yep. You know, there's a million things you could do. You could get a couple of generators like Mike has, and you could plant some trees, and you might switch to you know you could do. A, but the trouble is, people get all paralyzed with like, "Holy crap! I, I have no idea what to do." No, no, no. Back, back off. Do something. What could you do? You, you could buy uh, a crank radio that charges itself, so you at least have an emergency radio. Absolutely. Uh, you, could, you could you could keep your eyes open for when Home Depot they do put them on clearance. They don't put them on clearance when there's a friggin' hurricane coming through Texas. No. But they will <laughs> they will put those generators on clearance at the end of the season. You might get a nice. Eight thousand watt generator for five hundred bucks. If you, if you play your cards right, yeah, yeah. I think you there know. might be a lot of really good deals um, in January of twenty thirteen on Craigslist. If you know what I'm going at there, the twenty twelve freaks. Yeah, the well, world's going to end. I, if, I, if I'm not a if I'm not an aluminum foil hat black helicopter guy, the two thousand twelve thing don't mean jack to me. It doesn't mean anything to me either. But here's what I'm saying: I bought a lot of really cheap supplies. In January of 2000, because everybody was freaked oh, yeah, out yeah. about Y2K. And I yeah, think we're going to have true. another good buying opportunity. <laughs> and back then, there wasn't, there wasn't eBay, and there wasn't yeah. Craigslist, man. It's going to be easy to find it. You had to go yeah. around and talk to people and read the classifieds. In 2013, man, you're going to be seeing generators for sale and guys oh, selling geez. cases of MREs because... What, and this is like this is like the main core philosophy that we've always talked about here. We do things, and you know, it's not just a catchphrase. It's a, it's a it's a fundamental part of the culture of this community. We do things that benefit us today and make our lives better, even if nothing goes wrong. But have the redundancy in case something does go wrong. So we don't have people that go out and buy two pallets of MREs tomorrow. You know, they do. They go to the grocery store, and when they buy two cans of food, instead of two, they buy three. And when they use one and they replace it, they buy two instead of one, and we call that coffee canning, and they build out a pantry that way. It might take them six months, but six months down the road, they've got 60 days' worth of reserve food. They were going to buy it anyway. They're going to eat it anyway. It's not going to get thrown out a year later, sent to the homeless shelter. It's not, you know, people say, should I buy spam? If you like it, right? It's basic common sense that... Yeah, like we've said a couple times, but it's true. Our grandparents just, no one called them preppers or survivalists. This is how you lived. Right. That's just got to be, you know, a rainy day, right? You got to be ready for a rainy day. Well, it's at least sprinkling a little bit now, maybe. Yeah. I, so. Yeah. And how about this one? This is kind of going a little bit different, but I wanted your take on this. I want to ask you this last time, and I forgot about it. We have people constantly saying this crap about how this is the worst financial situation since the Great Depression. Now, I think it could become that, but people seem to be doing pretty well right now. Has America lost touch with reality of what suffering yeah. hardship really is? Yes, yes, and uh, it, it, it's a two-part answer. Yes, it is actually the worst thing since the Great Depression. But, but to your point, you it ain't that bad. To, <laughs> but, but, but they're pretending it's not, and that's very much thanks to the public relations campaign from politicians which out without me just saying the white house yeah but you know uh, americans are are just getting it forced fed to them from politicians and the media that it, that that like you know it's a, it's a recovery you know we we only lost for example we only only had 450,000 americans file for uh, unemployment new claims last week that's much better See, that's 10,000 <laughs> people that's 10,000 better than the other week because the week before was four hundred and sixty thousand, so see that's an improvement. But you I know, guess to my point, though, even though it's bad, did, did, I, what I, I what I guess I'm saying is that I think people today think, well, this must be what it was like in the Great Depression, oh, and no, they don't like, oh. understand what our grandparents, no. great grandparents, went through. They don't no. get actual. Real shortages of money, real shortages oh. of money. Now, they might have to deal with it someday, and, and I guess yes. even, it, you're right, it is the worst since, but it ain't even close to what it oh. was. And, and do you think that America's been maybe 
because they're like, okay, now it's just bad. And this is this is bad. Okay, well, it sucks, but everything's okay. Is it creating complacency where people think, well, yeah. the depression stuff ain't that bad? <laughs> well, how the, how the hell do you get Americans to approve uh, trillion-plus-dollar annual deficits? Uh, that's all being charged on American taxpayers' credit card right sure. now. And, uh, I mean, you know, but you know what I think there's, there's, there is that's crept in? A couple, let me, it's more nuanced. Uh, the Great Depression, unemployment was 25%. We had substantial deflation. No, no, nothing we've encountered so far mirrors that or even comes within uh, uh, a couple of zip codes of that. So that's true. Except that we're being lulled into sleep, you know, with this public relations campaign and the fact that there still is some access to credit, uh, at various levels. And, and, and now to the psychology is I think a lot of Americans are starting to take a sort of fatalistic approach. You know, I, I already have 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 dollars of credit card bills. I'm already stiffing my, my mortgage lender because I already been living here six months without paying my mortgage. I probably can like eke out six or eight or ten more months before they finally foreclose and evict me. And then I'll go find a rental property for half of what I'm paying anyway. And I'm fat because I haven't been paying my mortgage. Sure. Uh, and if I've already, you know, if I'm already ten, fifteen, twenty, whatever thousand into Visa and Mastercard, well, I'm going to screw them over later. So as long as they keep the the, the spigots open, I, I really envision a very unfortunate end. To this whole thing, uh, there's no way for this to end well. Uh, last time I was on, you and I spoke about it. David Walker, uh, uh, formerly uh, Comptroller uh, of the United States of America, uh, saying that we have obligations. The United States does that. We we've said we would pay debt, pensions, and whatnot of 55 trillion. Well, unfortunately, the entire United States of America, the net worth of every single American, is not that amount. So yeah. as a country, we owe more. We're bankrupt. Exists. The nation is technically bankrupt right now. I mean, that's the way oh I... Oh, God. Oh, by any, like, legal sense, of course we are. Sure, and, sure. And all, all I'm talking about is if, the, if every American sold everything they owned, their house, their cars, their stocks, their bonds, their 401ks, we would not have enough money right now to pay the obligations the United States government has, has, has committed us to. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, federal pensions, military pensions, and whatnot. Yep. That, does, that says nothing about what the state of Texas owes. That says nothing about what the city of Dallas owes. It doesn't say anything about what IBM owes. Sure, sure. It's unbelievable how much debt we have. So the, the person, though, that, that, that here's the, the financial idiot on TV, as I call them, the useless idiots, they get on there and say things like, well, credit's actually good, and if you, if you save, uh, inflation punishes savers, and there's no reason to try to be debt-free in this day and age. What do you say to that, that, uh, that genius that they roll out on CNN? Well, I know in my, you know, in the audience listening right now, there's plenty of hunters. Well, I invite you to go out and hunt down inflation and bring it back alive to me. <laughs> you show it to me. <laughs> you, 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 you bring it and show it to me. And, uh, you show me what's going up in value right now. It ain't your house, pal. It ain't your 401k. It ain't oil. It ain't gonna be gold. It ain't gonna be nothing. And, and so. see, that's to me, that's the, that philosophy depends on continuous inflation. I believe that sooner or later, whether it's 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 a it's a bubble in the middle or it's ten years from now in in a in a, an actual rebuilding sooner or later we'll see inflation again. We look at the value of money from nineteen you know nineteen hundred today. We can see inflation. It's it is a constant, but it's not a constant in individual cycles. And that no. philosophy that it'll always just keep going up is why people leave four hundred one k's on autopilot. They right. they're buy a house at the top of the market and they don't even negotiate because somebody else might buy it first. And then when that inflation bubble ceases, that interim, you call it getting your kneecaps broke, right? I invite your audience to, to study the Great Depression, and, and, and I also invite them, if they want to know where we're going, go back and study some Japanese economic history starting in 1989 because we're on the exact same trajectory as they are and it is uh, an unpretty picture uh, because the Japanese stock market, for one measure all by itself, is 75% lower today, actually more than 75% lower than it was uh, in late 1989. 
so 21 years ago. Imagine that. That would be what was what was the peak of the Dow? Fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand. So we're what at like two, three thousand then? Uh, yeah, well, at the low, the Japanese market got I think somewhere in the order of eighty-two, eighty-three percent off of its all-time oh high, which would pay, take the Dow to twenty-seven hundred. Holy crap! And Americans are like, yeah. "Wow, that's Japan. That's yeah. this America, land <laughs> of the free, home of the brave." And I'm like, "Are you really? Are we really you can't, arrogant? You can't break the fundamental laws of mathematics. I've said it before. Two and two is four. I can take the twos and split them into ones and put four ones together. I can take one off and put it to the three and make it a three and a one. But no matter what happens, math doesn't lie. It's a constant." And you can't break the rules of mathematics and money forever and keep getting away with it. Sooner or later, somebody's got to pay the check. Um, and my thought is that if people would live debt-free as they can, I mean, not everybody can walk out, whip out the billfold, and buy a house. That's one of the few debts that I, I, if you buy smart and, and you buy within your means, I, I'm, I'm okay with. But all the cars on debt, the credit card debt, especially student loan debt, if people would stay out of that debt, have a little bit of food, put together little homesteads. When we had these crises, we could get through them. And as bad as the Depression was, that's where most Americans were back then, and I think that's why we survived it. What do you think it looks like in America, crime rates, uh, things like that, shortages with a Dow Jones at, let's say, $4,000 for a year or more? What does that do to our society? You know, here's the, now you're taking me in a place you and I have never gone before but the fact of the matter is is with all my heart i have a tremendous belief in humanity and and if you really do research even into the death camps the nazi death camps back in 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 nazi germany uh, because i now i'm forgetting there was there there was there was a scientist who believed that when when you took everything away humans would turn on each other the strong would survive they would sure. steal food the fact of the matter is, even the death camps, that the, the, the strong would actually share their food. And help the weak. That were, that, and if you look at the depression in the U.S. and in other countries that during their weak economic times, human beings are a compassionate group. We will come back together. There's always going to be that criminal, evil element in any society, and there always has been. You go back uh, centuries, uh, thousands of years. However, I do not think we're we're going to like you know have to you know it's, it's butter and guns. Guns are guns are always okay, and I have mine. But I I don't imagine that's where humanity is going. We will help each other. I will share my peaches with somebody who doesn't have a peach to eat, and and you know I I I I I, I will not feel bad for the people that were and 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 it's, I, I I've been on your show and I've tried very hard not to swear. Yeah, you can. Hey, it's okay here, Mike. If you if you've been an asshole, yeah, you know, and 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 arrogant, well, you don't deserve a peach from me. Correct. You know, if you if you just you know made bad decisions and 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 maybe didn't think that you needed a peach from Mike, I got a peach for you. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you mean, and I I think that that's the case too. I've I've always said I believe that we could enter the what I call a great economic collapse, not this apocalypse world, but no. the type of thing you're talking about. And it, w I do believe it will create more criminal activity. Uh, and, oh, well. and, and but the the core of of society is not held together by law. It's held together by basic moral decency. And, and I know some people have a hard time having that much faith in people, but. You said it yourself. We've seen people tested in this, and there's always. I look at it this way: I could put a hundred thousand priests in a room, and probably three to four percent of them are scum, and the other ninety-seven percent are good guys. And I think that's a, it. Doesn't matter what the you know, and those ninety-seven percent are what keeps it together. But 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 it's a three percent or one percent or one third of one percent that the media tells you the story about. Correct. So. You know, I, I've been, maybe I've been lucky. I, I've encountered crime in, in various ways, but I mean, I've also been, you know, I, if you, if you got 60 seconds years ago now, I was, not even that many years, I was in Kansas City, Missouri, doing, working for a client, staying at a Marriott downtown, lovely hotel, and I was working just over a mile, mile and a half away. They had a little bit of an ice storm. Uh, I mean, 
from, you know, New England standards, they had like, you know, oh my God, Jack, they had a 32nd of an inch of ice. But I, I needed a taxi. I went down to the, to the, the concierge, the bellman's desk, and I was like, you know, I need a taxi. And they're, and they're like, well, they're running two hours behind. I'm like, two hours behind? Because, of course, I timed it kind of close. I, yeah. just, I just figured I'd walk outside, get in the cab, I would go to work, you know, for the client. I'm like, two hours? Yep, yep, you know. Well, I'm like, I can't, I, you know, I don't have two hours to wait for this, you know. I need to get to the client, and, and well, I'll just call them. It's an act of God. I go, oh, my God, it's an act of God. It's a 30-second of an inch of ice, you moron, <laughs> you know. And, of course, yeah. I'm getting, I'm, prob- I'm probably at this point holding my head because, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a suit and tie and leather-soled shoes, and, you know, yeah. and I am, I'm, I'm hauling my usual seminar material. So I'm standing there like, oh, I don't even know what to do. And this woman is standing, I didn't even notice her. She, she's standing there. She goes, she goes, she goes, she goes, do you, do you want to borrow my car? Wow. Yeah. A stranger. Yeah. I'm like, borrow yeah. your car. Yeah. She goes, yeah, I have a rental car. I go, she goes, if you want, you can take it. And I even said to her, I go, you don't even know me. She goes, well, you look okay. Wow. She goes, I just need it back because I'm flying out tonight. She needs it. Yeah. And, and, and she actually, and we stayed in touch for years. She actually, a stranger in, in Missouri, uh, which she was actually from California. I don't know where she was originally, but where where she was from. But I mean, I did, and that's just one. I have a, I have so many of those stories. Yeah, it's not just it's not just American people, but I think there really is, and I think even people that immigrate to America quickly take on that attitude. Uh, I, I, you know what, I agree, and I'll tell you. I mean, I talked about the the big New York City blackout. Do you know what I didn't see? I didn't see people getting mugged. I didn't nope. see people rioting, and, and nope. it's 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 weird to me because we have seen examples where it does happen. I saw the most orderly exodus from that city that there possibly could have been under those circumstances. Now, I was sitting there drinking a beer watching it all, uh, but I saw people helping each other. I saw people guiding, like talking to people, telling people this is the way to go to get out of here. Uh, and, and New York City has this reputation for people being rude, but every oh. time I've been there, they've been the most. Uh, now East Jersey, I, I don't know, but but Manhattan, I've seen so many people there help each other. L.A., we had of course the Rodney King riots, but what else do we have out in L.A. years ago? We had the earthquake where the overpass fell on top of the other overpass. And uh, then, then what happened? People went out and pulled ladders off of service trucks. Civilians did this and started climbing up into the collapsed overpass to help people. So I'm with you. I think that there always is a danger, but in in tough times, people come together. But I think the more community we build today, the better we'll get through those times. And the more prepared we are today, the better we'll get through those times. Being prepared for everything in life. That's why we, you know, you're supposed to get an education. To be prepared, so you don't have to like flip burgers at a fast food joint your entire life. It's, sure, life life is about preparation, meeting opportunity. Well, hey man, I appreciate you coming on the show again like this, Mike, and it's good to hear you know someone from kind of a different background. Actually, our backgrounds are not that much different. Our professional backgrounds are different, but our growing up backgrounds are really similar. And it's part of what we've just been talking about. People are people. So I want to give you kind of a final word here. To anybody out there that's kind of new to the whole concept of being prepared, that's kind of like on the fence, do I really need to do this? What would you tell them? I'll go back to my original advice earlier, which is just don't get confused by what you should do. A bag of candles is something. It's $5 at CVS or Walgreens. Do Just do something. Just don't be confused by what you should do first, but think of what you could do. Think of what you can afford to do and pick one. And, and, and pick your opportunities and do it one thing at a time. Accumulating six months worth of food in, in, in your house is unrealistic. And, and the thought of it will keep you from doing it. But going by in a, you know, the Sam's Club and buying a couple, you know, a bag of like rice and a couple big gallon things of like, uh, you know, beans and, and whatnot, beef stew, you know what? At that point, you're almost good for a week or two. Sure, you are. Food. So you 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 start. You know, for a hundred dollars, you couldn't believe what you could do. For fifty dollars, it isn't. It doesn't take big money. It takes big thinking. Some thinking. Don't be paralyzed with with. It, it's it's paralysis by analysis. It's thinking about it too much. And uh, just but just just don't wait. Just do something. Get some food, man. 
you know, get 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 a crank radio, get a generator, get something, start. Awesome, Mike. Well, again, thanks for coming by today, and folks. Um, I, I'm glad that I work for myself because otherwise Mike might be taking my job here uh, because he's putting it pretty nuts and bolts in the way that you guys want to hear it. You got to do something. You got to get started. If you've been procrastinating on this stuff, get in gear with it. This is not just a forum, a community, and a podcast. It's an action-oriented community with a culture of preparedness that you're part of. We're glad you're here. We're glad you were with us today. And uh, hopefully uh, today's show, maybe you picked up some pearls of wisdom and some thoughts from Mike that I haven't brought you before because that's why I bring guests on. I think you did a great job. Thanks for being with us today, Mike. Hey, my pleasure, Jack. Anytime. You know that. And with that, folks, I'll wrap up. This has been Jack Spirico and Mike Gazer uh, with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living for